0: Imagine for a moment a life that feels unhurried and unworried, a life of patience, peace, and freedom from the obsession over others' opinions of you, a life of genuine humility that serves without keeping score, a life free from secret sins and resentment. Do you believe a life like this is possible? You can become a different kind of person. Different set of values. Jesus is inviting you to follow Him. Are you ready?
1: Happy New Year, Go Church family. It is so good to be launching into a brand new year and we get to launch into it together. And listen, whatever campus you call home here at Go Church. Whether you're a part of our West Side Atlanta campus family or maybe you're a part of our Germantown Maryland campus family or perhaps you attend our broadcast campus right here on the south side of Atlanta, here's what I'm believing. I'm believing that this year, 2023, is going to be the year of God's miracles. As a matter of fact, Deeper 21 officially starts today. This is where we commit 21 days to prayer and fasting. And I'm believing, again, with great faith, that we're going to experience God's miracles all year long. Now, I'm inviting you and challenging you to join us in person for Deeper 21, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m., Saturdays at 9 a.m., one hour of worship, devotion, and prayer. Now, today, one of my dearest friends, Pastor Jason Isaacs, is bringing the word. He and his wife, Andrea, they pastor Hope City Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and he's the author of this brand new book called Deep Change. It's an awesome book, a life-changing book, and we're using this book as our sermon series for the month of January. So I know that today's word is going to be powerful. I know that this book is life-changing and powerful. So, all right, Go Church family, at every campus, I want you to stand on your feet. The Bible says that we should give honor where honor is due. So would you put your hands together, let's hoop and holler, make some noise, for my friend and yours, Pastor Jason Isaacs.
0: Thank you very much. You can be seated. Uh, thank you for that. And it is such a joy to be here. I do want to say hey to all of the Go Church campuses um, that are watching right now. And if you could, can we just say hello and welcome to all the campuses who are with us? It, uh, it really is a joy to, to be here and to speak at Go Church. I've been here on some Wednesday nights, uh, never been here on a Sunday and have always wanted to be here on a Sunday. Um, matter of fact, several years ago, uh, Pastor JC and I have been friends for a long time. And several years ago, I called uh, Pastor JC and I said, Hey, I, you know, I really feel like I've got something powerful I'd like to share with your church on a Sunday. would love to come in and speak. And and uh, he, he really kind of caught me off guard. He, he said back to me, he said, Jason, I love you, but you're just not ready. And I, it, I yeah, it caught me off guard. And... And uh, and he said, listen, the people at Go Church, they love God, and they know the Bible, and uh, I just, I don't think you're ready, and it really, it really stung, and so I, I went back to Bible college, and I, I learned Hebrew and Greek. I got a master's in theology and ecclesiology, and I called Pastor JC up, and I said, hey, I went back to Bible college. I know Hebrew and Greek. I think I'm ready. I'd love to come and preach at Go Church on a Sunday, and he said, man, I I'm not trying to hurt you. I love you, but you're just, you're not ready. I couldn't believe it. A couple months later, I call him back up. I say, Pastor JC, I know you don't think I'm ready, but I I, I think I'm ready. And I'll come. You don't have to, like, pay me anything. I'll cover my expenses. I just want to come and preach. He said, Jason, you're just not ready. I let it sit for a while. And so finally, a couple months ago, I called him. I said, Pastor JC, I don't even want you to say anything. I'm coming. And I, listen, I'm ready. And you don't have to pay me anything. I'm going to cover all my expenses. I, I want to come so bad. I'll pay you to come. He said, I think you're ready. <laughs> and so um, here we are. And it is uh, an honor to be here. And more than anything else, uh, I'm, I'm genuinely excited for your church to be spending the month of January going through Deep change. It is the newest book that I've written, but, but, and you'll hear more about it today. But more than just being a book, it's really a burden and a message uh, for my life and, and our church, um, really kind of birthed out of our church in Louisville, Kentucky. So at the end of the sermon today, I'll be in the bookstore. They've got these out there. And if you're one of those people who like to have it signed by the author, it would, it would make my day to be able to sign it for you. I'll be out there and I would love to get a chance to meet you and to sign that. But you are taking the month of January to learn the practices of deep change and to experience uh, deep change. Man, I'm so excited about that. My wife and I recently uh, started watching the show, The Chosen. We were late to the game. I know many of you have already seen all the episodes, but we hadn't watched it. And several people on our staff were talking about how much they loved it. And you really got to watch it. And so we sat down and began to watch this show if you're not familiar with The Chosen, it's, it's just a, a television series depicting the life of Jesus and the disciples and the Gospels. It is fantastic. And I think what I've loved about it the most is the way that it has kind of forced me to have a fresh perspective of Jesus. Um, this is actually the image of the guy who plays the character of Jesus in the series, this does an amazing job with it. Matter of fact, as I started watching The Chosen, in the mornings, I would be doing my prayer time, and I would, I would be thinking of this guy. I'd be praying to this guy. Uh, but that's not Jesus, but he was in my head. and um, But as I watched the show, it just kind of made me have a fresh perspective of Jesus. I've been a Christian a long time. I grew up in church. I've read the Bible through many times. and I know the many of the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. You probably know a lot of those, too. You're here in church. But I think sometimes it's really easy to forget that God really came as a human being. He really came as a human being. And I wonder if you ever think about that, that Jesus, the human being, really did get tired. He really did get annoyed. His breath really did stink because he was a human ever think about that? The human aspect of Jesus. It's so easy to make Christianity about beliefs and about morals and principles, and I get that, but to be a Christian, fundamentally believe, you believe, being Christian, you believe that God came as a Middle Eastern man just about a little over 2,000 years ago, and walked the earth, and he taught, and he healed, and he modeled a way of life, and he died For our sins. You believe that. If you're here and you're a Christian, whether you know it or not, you believe that that God came in a human body. Here's the challenge, though. If we're being honest, sometimes it's easier to believe in an invisible God than it is a visible one. That God came in in the flesh. In our head, we know it's true, but we rarely think about Jesus, the human. Jesus, the, the human who walked the earth. And if we do think about it, we certainly don't believe it's possible for us to be like that version, that earthly human version of Jesus in our everyday life. I mean, he was God, after all, and we don't think of him as as a person. And we think, well, he was sinless, and, and we're not. So, yeah, I can try to be a little more kind, or I can try to not get angry as much, and, you know, WWJD. But when I talk about being like Jesus, I'm talking about something more than that. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. What would my life look like and feel like if I was more like Jesus the human? I mean, in the normal everyday stuff. And that's really at the heart of what deep change is about is I want and my prayer for you over these next several weeks is that it would begin this journey that the Holy Spirit would come into your heart and in your life and remake you at the deepest parts of who you are into a new kind of person that looks and sees and feels and responds more and more like Jesus would if he was in your exact circumstance. Not God up in the sky, not the Spirit in the services, but how would Jesus respond and think and feel and act if he was in my exact circumstance? I want you to think about that. It's easy to think about, you know, what would Jesus do in the action, but what would Jesus think? What would Jesus feel? How would Jesus respond? How would he see? In normal everyday stuff, nine to five, I, let me give you a couple of examples. How, how would Jesus, maybe you've never thought about this, but how would Jesus feel or act or respond at his kids' travel sports tournament? And I've thought a lot about that question because all my kids play sports. I've got four amazing kids. They're all good athletes. The oldest one plays travel soccer. She's very good. And. And so she's a freshman. She just started, she, she started, made and started on the varsity team. Proud, humble, brag there about dad. And man, I, I, I love to watch her play. And I thought about this. Okay, if Jesus were, were in my exact circumstance, how would he act? I don't think he would be like in the parking lot praying. I think he would be watching. I think he would be joyful. I think he would care. I think he would want her to play good. I think he would want the ref to make the right calls. Come on. I don't think he would be like, hmm, in the parking lot. I think he would care. I don't know how much he would care. Probably not as much as I care to an unhealthy degree. But I do do wonder about that. Is it possible for me to be like Jesus on the sideline of my kids' games? And not just that I want to yell, but I don't because I bite my tongue because I'm going to be like Jesus. But I want to be the kind of person... Who doesn't want to yell? I want to be the kind of person who knows it matters, but it's important, but it's not the most important thing about me. I want to be that kind of person. I think Jesus would be. How would Jesus feel or respond on social media? I think about this a lot. Like, would he have a smartphone? I don't know. And I'm not saying that as like a guilt thing. He, maybe he would. He probably, I don't know. But I have a smartphone and I have social media. So if Jesus were in my exact circumstance, how much? what would his screen time allotment be? I don't know. I don't know. I think he'd have one or something. Let's make it even more plain than that. How would Jesus feel doing his taxes? Yeah. Yeah. He's doing it. He's putting it in. And, he, and, you know, I mean, there's certain buttons you can pick, you know, and choose. And you can, you know, how, how would he feel? Yeah. What about this one? How would Jesus feel doing the dishes? Again, going back to the show watching, you know, Jesus cleaning up the fire that they made the last night or washing this. It's like, oh, yeah, he was a human. He did that. He did that. How would Jesus respond and act shopping for clothes with his teenage daughter? Come on, parents of teenage daughters. You know. If he was in my exact circumstance. So we're there. (laughs) We're Looking for clothes that actually cover the entire body, <laughs> and I don't want to like bite my lip and grip my. I want to be the kind of person. In essence, right? How, how would Jesus? How would Jesus act driving home in rush hour traffic? How would Jesus feel when his in-laws visited for the holidays? Because I don't want to just go to my room and close the door. I want to be the kind of person who exudes love and patience and kindness and. Joy and self-control. How would Jesus respond if the waiter got his order wrong or took too long? How would Jesus feel trying to put together Ikea furniture? He was a carpenter, but I don't even think that helps. Jesus the human would do these things. And he wouldn't just act a certain way, he would feel a certain way, and he would think a certain way, and he would see a certain way. And we know the stories and the teachings of Jesus, but we rarely think about his character. I don't mean just moral character, I mean his character, his essence, who he is internally in his interior life. And so what we do is we try to be morally good people by saying... When the time comes for me to make the right decision or not respond a certain way, I don't want to make that decision or respond that way. But what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life is he wants to make us the kinds of people who look, see, act, think, feel a certain way. We want to become the kind of people that Jesus was. But it feels too good to be true. How could we actually become the kind of person that Jesus was. Well, that's what this series is about. That's what the book's about. And over the next five weeks, I hope, if nothing else, you'll come to believe that it's actually possible for you to experience this kind of life. It's actually possible. That it's possible to live a completely different life than the one that you're living right now. Not just a a little bit better version, a rehabbed version, a, a, a will-powered version, but a completely different life than the one you're living right now. It's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and practices that you're going to learn to be a completely different kind of person. And all of this started for me several years ago. The origin of this for me was when I read a, a quote, a famous quote actually, by C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard it, but I want to read it to you. C.S. Lewis said, For mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. First time I read this quote, my chest felt funny. For two reasons, I think. I think the first reason is because I wasn't sure as a Christian for a long time, I wasn't sure that I had become a new kind of man. But the second reason was because as a pastor, I wasn't sure that many of the people that were following my leadership would describe their Christian experience in this way. A winged creature of sorts. Like, that. That maybe today, you would not say being a Christian feels as if my soul grew wings. It feels like I'm... Trying to improve, but improvement's not redemption. To be redeemed means to reclassify, to make it in its original creation and the way that it is. And so improvement's not redemption, but but we, we meet Jesus, we become uh, Christians, and our soul grows wings. I read this and I thought, is this true? And I had to come to the convicting result that for me and for all of us, that it's possible to experience. Salvation, but not transformation. It's possible to be saved. Go to heaven, not go to hell. Pray some prayers, but never be transformed. Completely renewed and transformed. Not just slightly better, but brand new. But everybody listen to me. God wants to transform your life. He wants to transform your marriage. He wants to transform your relationship with your children. He wants to transform the dreams you have for your life. He wants to transform the feelings that you feel throughout the moments of your day. He wants to transform the way you think the world works. He wants to make you into a completely new, different kind of person. So I read this quote, so challenged. Little did I know that God was going to use this idea and one of the most painful, worst years of my life to teach me how to become a new kind of person. And I want to teach you. If you read the book, you'll read much more about it, but I just want to give you the short version of the story to help you understand where I'm coming from. It was a normal Friday morning, a very normal, average Friday. I was waking up. Uh, in the morning, my my cell phone was on the nightstand beside me on vibrate, and I just heard it pulsing. It just wouldn't stop. I reach over, I grab my phone, and begin to scroll through the messages that were coming to my phone, and completely, uh, as a surprise to me, there was someone who was very angry with me about something that had happened, and begin to threaten me, begin to harass me. And I'd never experienced anything like this. And that experience on that Friday morning in the next few hours and days sent me into a six-month spiral where I began to experience the worst fear and anxiety and depression that I had ever experienced. Not to make it more dramatic than it was, but it was a terrifying. Season of my life where I was certain that I was going to die. And if somehow my life was prolonged, I imagined all kind of other scenarios that were going to happen to me. But it felt pointless and I felt helpless because at some point all of my worst fears and anxious thoughts were going to come true and someone was going to get me. I would jump every time my phone would ring. I would jump every time the delivery man would drop off a package at the front door and I was sitting downstairs, thought somebody was up there. I would go to stores and restaurants and I would sit in the parking lot as long as I could and wait for as many people to leave. I would go to Lowe's, the hardware store, and I knew they closed at 9, so I'd go at 8.50 and just wait for as many people to leave as possible so that I could go in because I knew that there would be somebody in there who was going to hurt me. I would have to preach on Sunday mornings. Matter of fact, I preached here on a Wednesday night during this season, and I, I, I had to. I was supposed to preach on Sunday mornings at my church, and I would go into my office and I would cry, certain that while I was preaching, someone was going to come through the back doors and hurt me. The lowest moment for me was when I was at the church on a on a on a weekday and. I couldn't see exactly through the window what was happening, but I saw somebody coming into the church. I couldn't see who it was, but I was certain in that moment that this was it, and they were coming to kill me. And I sprinted into the sanctuary, and I went and hid in the church sound booth under the cabinet. And I sat there with my hands around my knees and tucked into my chin, hiding, trying to be quiet, knowing that they were coming to get me, trying to catch my breath. It wasn't anyone coming to get me, but I was sure of it. But if you've ever had any type of experience like that, whether it be depression, anxiety, massive fear, you know that there are two things happening at the same time. One is what you're experiencing. It's real. But the other thing that is happening at that moment is you're able in this weird way to step outside of yourself and observe what's happening to you. And shame kicks in because you're mad at yourself that you can't stop it from happening. Get it together. Snap out of it. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? That's what began to happen to me. It was almost as if I was like observing myself in that sound booth. And I could not understand why I was feeling this way and how it had gotten this bad. And what was wrong with me and why wasn't it working? Why couldn't I figure out how to get out of it? All the strategies that I had used in my life up to that point weren't working. Bible reading, church attendance, prayer, worship wasn't working. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a problem that my faith couldn't fix. I felt a mile wide and an inch deep. I was a 20-year a Christian. And I had never been acquainted with my deepest fears Anxiety, sadness, insecurities. My relationship with Jesus had never forced me to face the truth about what was happening beneath the surface of my life. I had always assumed that I was a relatively healthy, spiritually mature person. But I was forced in that season to take an inventory of my life, and I realized that my 20 years of Bible knowledge and church attendance had done very little to develop my interior life. I did not have the spiritual depth and emotional health that I thought I did. I had no awareness or language for what I was experiencing emotionally. I definitely could not sit still and be alone in silence with God. I was oblivious to my need for approval, the way my insecurities drove me to project a public version of myself. And at the core, I began to realize Just how much I had used my faith to attain the life that I wanted instead of the life that Jesus wanted for me. That experience drove me to search for lots of answers. Uh, uh, Peter his in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he calls this, what I was experiencing, he calls this hitting a wall. He says that every Christian uh, throughout their life, three, four, five times in their life, will hit a wall of sorts. And it's not that you're not saved, but it's that the resources that you possess up to that point in your life are not the resources you need in order to get through what it is that you're going through. And it's not that you get resaved, but it's the walls that you hit and the pain that you go through that cause you to experience God in a new way and know and have a revelation of Jesus in a new way. And this is what was happening for me. I had hit a wall. And so I begin counseling and reading lots of books and lots of prayer and what I began to learn was that I wasn't alone and maybe you're here today and you would say yeah I'm 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 spiraling anxiety depression fear insecurity is dominating my life I'm spiraling I don't know what to do listen to me you're not alone you're not alone I began to read and to talk and to learn that I was not alone and that for thousands of years, thousands of years for the entire history of the church, some of the greatest spiritual leaders and thinkers and scholars came to repeated points in their life where they did not possess the resources that they needed internally to face the life that they were living. They had come to the realization that they were saved, but they lacked a depth that helped them live the Christian life the way that Jesus said they could live it. That was what was happening to me, and maybe that's what's happening to you. You are saved, but you lack a depth that you need in order to live the life that Jesus says that you could live. So I want you to think for a moment about your life, your day-to-day, your 9-to-5, Monday-to-Friday. Think about that life, your schedule, Your relationships. And I want you to compare that to the life that Jesus said that you could live. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, very famous passage, he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. We probably know this passage, but we miss the obvious promise and opportunity in the middle of it that according to Jesus, there is a way of life that he can teach me. A way of life that he can teach me that feels lighter and easier to bear. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus is willing to teach me a way of life that is easier and lighter and easier to bear, I want to learn it. Anybody else want to learn it? I do. And so Jesus makes us this promise. If you'll come to me and you'll let me teach you, I will teach you a new way of life. But sadly for most Christians, we don't take him up on that. We don't let the Holy Spirit all the way in. We don't experience transformation or deep change. Instead, we usually try... One of two strategies, I would say, instead of learning a new way of life, we, one strategy is, uh, especially as Pentecostals, I'll just pick on us for a little bit. One strategy, instead of learning this new way of life that Jesus wants to teach us, is we say, I don't need to learn a new way of life, we just choose enthusiasm, Our plan is to get excited enough and stay excited enough that we will just stay above the fray and live differently because we are excited. So we work hard to keep our passion up. But eventually that gets exhausting. Come on. I can't sing any more songs. I can't can't pray any more prayers. I can't listen to any more sermons. Anybody ever get tired trying to keep it up? I remember growing up in church, I grew up in churches, we had really long church services. Anybody grow up in a church where like, it was all day? And I remember my pastor would always say, isn't this wonderful when we get to heaven? We're going to do this 24 hours a day. And I thought, oh my gosh, my feet are going to hurt so bad in heaven. I am thankful for the shorter worship sets now, I'm just saying. Here's what: When you choose the strategy of enthusiasm, can I tell you what happens? Shame. Because eventually you can't keep it up and you're not as excited as you need to be and you're not able to love God enough to stay excited and everybody around you seems to be excited so you feel ashamed because you must have done something wrong, didn't do enough. That's one strategy. But on the other side of enthusiasm is the strategy of knowledge. Instead of learning a new way of life, this strategy assumes you can read enough books and you can learn enough information to be a different person, enough head knowledge. I've done both. Can I tell you what happens when you go the knowledge strategy? You do learn a lot of new stuff. And what happens is you eventually get so prideful because you look at everybody who doesn't know as much as you and you think everybody's stupid and you're brilliant. And so instead of learning a new way of life, we say, I'm just going to stay fired up for Jesus or I'm going to be really smart. And neither one changes us at the deepest levels of our life. Of course, there's nothing wrong with enthusiasm or knowledge. We need it. But you've probably learned by now those things do not change you at the deepest levels of your life. And you know how you know that? Because you've been following Jesus 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you still feel like a failure. You still avoid conflict. You're still afraid to bring up hard conversations. You're still terrible at managing money. You're still massively small and insecure when your parents visit or you go home. You're a workaholic who neglects your family. Secret sins and resentment for decades. And you've been a Christian all this time, but somehow all of the inner stuff in your life is still the same as it was. I've been there. I am there. We're there. How is that possible? This has bugged me my entire life in church and now as a pastor. How is it possible that we can be Christians but still not be changed on the things that are are, are bothering us the most and weighing us down the most? And the answer is because we're spiritually active, but we're emotionally immature. We're spiritually active, but we're emotionally immature. And everyone, listen to me. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature at the same time. It's not possible. There's no such thing as emotional, immature, spiritual maturity. That was a tongue twister. Let me say it again. There's no such thing as emotionally immature people who are spiritually mature. It's not possible. And so that's where deep change comes in. That's where deep change comes in. It's it's when spiritual depth and emotional health converge when change begins to happen in the deepest parts of your soul. You have to have spiritual depth and emotional health. And this is a way of life that Jesus longs to teach you that makes life lighter and easier to bear. And when I say spiritual depth, I mean things like actually Being converted to a Christian, experiencing God's love, practicing spiritual disciplines, knowing spiritual gifts, and having the right doctrine and theology. Those things are very important, but you can have all of those things and still be oblivious to all of the issues beneath the surface of your life. When I'm talking about emotional health, I'm talking about things like self-awareness and emotional maturity and healing from past wounds and eliminating destructive habits And we can't just have that because without spiritual depth, it's just therapeutic. It's just self-help. We have to have both. But, oh, when we know the right stuff about God and we learn the right stuff about ourselves, Holy Spirit begins to change us at the deepest levels. And so that's the question. How do you develop spiritual depth and emotional health? How do you do it? And if there is some part of you that is curious, I am so excited because that's what deep change is all about. And this has become a passion and a burden of mine from my experience and at our church. And over the next several weeks, your pastors are going to teach you four practices, the four practices of deep change that will help you develop spiritual depth and emotional health. Let me just go ahead and give them to you so you know where you're going. Practice number one is feel your feelings. Practice two is face your past. Practice three is change your habits. Practice four is embrace your limits. Now, it's very important to point out, these are practices, not steps. Because there's a million principles out there, you know, steps. You know, you do one, two, three, four, five, and everything's going to get better. This is involving the deepest parts of who you are and the Holy Spirit. So it is a process that takes time and works differently for everybody. But these four practices, as you begin to practice them, will begin to develop spiritual depth and emotional health in your life. And so my prayer has been that God would allow me to get in front of as many people and get this book in front of as many people as possible to help them to experience spiritual depth and emotional health. And I don't know what God has in store, and I don't know how many different ways he's going to allow us and this ministry to do this, but right now, the way we're starting is with the book, and then we just send out a simple email. And I asked Pastor JC if it would be okay if I gave you the opportunity to join in us with this. And so if this is something that interests you, if you would say, I, I want to know how to have spiritual depth and emotional health. All we do right now is we have the book, but then we send out, I, I write and send out an email every week. And if you text "Deep Change" to that number, you're not signing up for anything more than an email from me. No upsells, no spam, I promise. No no strings attached. We'll just add you to the list, and every week you'll get an email, some material to help you in this process. And so I would love for you to join me on that. They'll leave that up on the screen for you, and you can have that number uh, and text that in. And so... We want emotional health, we want spiritual depth, we want to experience deep change. You're going to be learning those four practices this month. What, a, what an amazing way to start a year. And you're, and you're praying and fasting for 21 days. Watch out. And so my job today is to simply lay a foundation. I've got a few minutes to simply lay a foundation to help you get started. And to do that, we're going to just pray a simple prayer together. Famous prayer from Psalm one thirty nine at the very end. The psalmist in twenty three and twenty four, he just he, he he writes these words: "Search me, God, and know my heart; test me and know my anxious thoughts; see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting." Can we pray that together here and at all our locations? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, this is an incredibly dangerous prayer. Because God already knows the truth about you. You probably do not. The people living in your house know the truth about you but we don't. We're, 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 we have blind spots. We live in denial and naive optimism. We all do it. And here we are, if we're courageous enough, saying to God, search me. Come all the way in. Come all the way in. And point out the things in me that I need to know. And What I love about God is that as dangerous as this is, I mean, do you know how many things he could bring up? I mean, when you say, God, search me and point out, he could bring up so much, but your heavenly father who loves you with the perfect heavenly father love will bring up just the right amount that he needs to bring up at just the right time to help you take the next step. There are so many traumatic experiences from our past in this room. There's so many things that we don't even know about, some things we've buried And the Holy Spirit's not going to overwhelm you with that. But just the right amount, at just the right time, he helps you take the next step, the perfect pace. And so here's what I believe is going to happen. I've experienced that. I've helped dozens of people walk this road that you're about to walk. As you invite the Holy Spirit all the way in, and he begins to peel back the layers of your soul, you begin to feel your feelings and face your past and change your habits and embrace your limits, He's peeling back the layers of your soul. You're going to feel ashamed or embarrassed or afraid, and everything inside of you is going to want to pull back and run to enthusiasm or knowledge. Ooh, I don't like this. I don't like this. What are you doing, Holy Spirit? I don't like this. Well, you invited him in, and you asked him to point out anything, and he's going to begin to do it, and it's going to freak you out. And you're going to want to run to enthusiasm or knowledge. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stay right there stay right there. I love the way Thomas Keating describes this experience. Keating, I think, probably said it the best when he said, as we progress toward the center where God is actually waiting for us, we are naturally going to feel that we're getting worse. This warns us that the spiritual journey is not a success story or a career move. It's rather a series of humiliations of the false self. Here's what he means. He means that You know, there's this myth that the longer you serve God, the easier it gets, and I guess in some ways it does, but it's not any less humiliating. Because as the Holy Spirit begins to peel back the layers, you say, I I can't believe I'm this kind of person. I can't believe I feel these ways. I can't believe I'm this jealous. I can't believe I'm this insecure. I can't believe I care this much what people think about me. I can't believe I'm this judgmental. I can't believe that I... And it's all of these layers of our life, these personas that we created at a young age because we wanted to be loved or affirmed or impressive or whatever it is. And we've built our life on all of these false versions of who we are. And it's not who God says we are. And as he begins to peel it back, we're humiliated and ashamed and embarrassed. And it's at that moment that, that you can't believe that God could even love somebody like you. And that's the moment when maybe for the first time in your life you believe the gospel. That you are more of a sinner than you ever believed that you were. but you are more loved and accepted by God than you could ever comprehend. Ever comprehend. And so, as this process begins for you, and it's like, ooh, I don't like this. What's happening is the thing you tell your children every time you pour disinfectant on a cut or pull a splinter. The burning is proof that it's healing. <laughs> Isn't that true? So here's how I want us to end this today. I'm, just, I'm laying a foundation. I'm leading you to the doorstep. Pastor JC, I can't wait to see how he preaches it. I'm gonna steal his stuff, but. <laughs> we're gonna use just one sentence, a simple little template. Because one of the hardest things is getting started and having the self-awareness. We've asked the Holy Spirit to point it out, but it's hard to even know where to begin. So I want to give you one little sentence that has been most helpful for me and our, our team as we have walked this road together. And here's the sentence. The sentence is, when I fill in the blank, I usually fill in the blank and end up fill in the blank. Now you can try to do this this morning and that's fine, but I really would encourage you This week to use this, and especially if you're doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting, bring this to God every day in that time and see what he begins to point out in you. But maybe you would take this sentence and you would say, you know what? When I get extra money, I usually spend it quickly on stuff I don't need and end up feeling angry with myself for not having it when I need it. See, that's a way of life. But Jesus wants to teach you a new way. Or maybe you would say, when people try to get close to me, I usually pull away and I end up feeling alone. See, that's a way of life. But Jesus has a better way of life for you. Or maybe you would say, when I start dating someone, I usually give them all my energy and attention. And I end up isolating myself from my friends and my family. Or when I get bored, I usually do things I sort to myself I wouldn't do anymore. And I end up feeling defeated and ashamed. I can't seem to stop. As I was going through this process and asking the Holy Spirit to point out anything in me, one of the answers that I wrote down is when I walk into a room, I usually assume people won't like me and I end up hiding. That's a way of life. But Jesus wants to teach me a new way of life that's lighter and easier to bear and feelings of loneliness and insecurity. Put it back up on the screen for me, guys. What would you say? When I'm sitting in traffic, when I'm scrolling on my phone, when someone criticizes me, when I have a day off of work, when my boss asks me to come in on my day off, when my friends change plans on me at the last minute, When the line is long at the grocery store, when my spouse disappoints me, I mean, whatever it is, just write it in there. Here's the scenario. And what you're gonna find is that over and over and over again, you have repeated tendencies and actions. It's a way of life. And Jesus has a new way. And if Jesus were to fill in this sentence, Jesus would probably say things like, When I'm in a boat and a crazy storm comes up and everyone thinks we're gonna die, I usually take a nap. And I end up feeling rested and at peace. How would you answer that when there's a crazy storm happening? Can you take a nap? Or Jesus may say, when people say things about me that aren't true, I usually don't defend myself and end up making them more angry. How do you do when people say things about you that aren't true? Or Jesus would say, when I'm on my way somewhere, but someone interrupts me and needs something from me, I usually stop what I'm doing, give them my undivided attention, and end up changing my schedule or being late where I was going anyway. How do you do when someone interrupts you and needs something from you? And the reason I'm giving you these Jesus examples is because I don't want you to, to clench your fists and bite your tongue and say, I'm gonna take a nap when things are crazy. I'm not gonna be bothered when people interrupt me. I'm not, I'm not gonna defend myself. I wanna defend myself so bad, but I'm not gonna defend myself. I want the Holy Spirit to make us the kinds of people that feel no need to defend ourselves. I want the Holy Spirit to make me the kind of person that can take a nap in the middle of chaos. I want the Holy Spirit to make me the kind of person that is interruptible and flexible because someone needs me. But where I'm at right now, I'm not that kind of person. And I can try to fake it, but Jesus wasn't faking it. It's who he was, and that's who I want to be. And so as we end this time together... Let's just pray Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 together one more time. Can we pray it all together, all our locations? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Holy Spirit, search me, lead me, teach me you've got a new way of life for me that's lighter and easier to bear, then search me, lead me, and teach me. Can we say that together? Come on, say that with me. Search me, lead me, and teach me. That's our prayer. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you did not just send the Savior for my sins. But you sent me a teacher and a rabbi to follow. You sent me a real life example of what it looks like to be close to you in my day-to-day life. So, God, I pray that you would help me to stop trying to force the actions that are the right ones. But you would help me and help us to become the kinds of people who want to do the right things for the right reasons at the change our feelings, change the way we see, change the way we think, change the way we respond. Get all the way in, God, and change us deeply. And as you're doing your work, God, help us to stay still and not run away. To learn a new way of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody sit. Amen.